Amen. Christ the Lord is risen today. Let's sing this wonderful hymn. Christ the Lord is risen today.
this song, Resurrect Me, because it tells a story, it tells the story of Jesus.
Amen. And this song, so beautiful. Because again, it tells the story of the hope that we have in the one who just has arisen. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. We were in Sunday school this morning. He's the only one that can atone for sin, folks. That's it. And so he loved us so much that he died upon that cross. But that wasn't the end of the story, right? We know that he lives today and that you and I can have salvation in him. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into Thank you. 
Lord of praise. And all God's people said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Incredible understanding of what happened that week so many years ago, thousands of years ago. And we celebrate that. And what's amazing at the same time that we have this sense of, of celebration, there are people all around the world who have a sense of grief because of things that have happened in their life this week. And some of you know uh, Ron and Liz Chapman, who were a part of this church. They actually started coming here when we were pastoring many years ago. And uh, Ron died this week. He was in an accident a week before. And it's just an incredible thought to celebrate the resurrection and to grieve the loss of a friend. But you know, I know Ron and I know God and it's okay. It's okay. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. The tremendous thing that you did by dying for us on the cross. And Lord, in all of your power, we ask that you'll bring comfort to the Chapman family and to others who we know who this week has not been a celebration of their life. In fact, it's been the darkest days of their life. We just ask that your spirit will go and do what no person can do. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Do you have some favorite Easter memories? Some things that you would tell your kids and talk about? Um, I, uh, I remember the very first time I heard the song, Up From the Grave He Arose. I prob well, let me, see. let me say it again. The first time I actually remember hearing it. I grew up in the church, so I probably heard it. We had moved to Ohio in a little town called Grover Hill, and I was around 13 years old, and the first service in that little church, it was just packed out, and it was full, and they sang that song, Up From the Grave He Arose, and that became my favorite song. I don't know why I'd never heard it before, but I remember that distinctly. And then I remember an Easter service when I was your pastor on Golf Road a long, long time ago, and, and you guys probably don't remember this. We started off with a slideshow, which was high-tech at that time. And uh, some of the people from the church, there were pictures of them in the graveyard that was across the street from the church. And they were walking, they were talking, their heads were down. And then there was a picture that showed them pointing. And then there was a picture that showed an empty grave and pictures of them running across Golf Road and coming to the, the, door, the front door on, on Golf Road in the church and, uh, and then bursting in the back door and they shouted, he's alive, he's alive. <laughs> and uh, whoever, I think it was Vonda, who had been prepping the congregation for a couple of weeks, and Dale was probably a part of this, and you guys probably don't remember this, that's okay, but prepping the congregation, saying that on Easter Sunday, be ready to sing the Alleluia chorus. You know, the one that goes, Alleluia, you know, that one. And uh, she jumped up, and you jumped up, and he's alive, Alleluia. Another memory, I don't know where Easter egg came from. I don't know what the tradition is, and there's probably people who don't like it. I just don't care. I like them. Uh, for many years, from the time our, my brother, who's younger than me, uh, he had three kids, and our youngest daughter was about the same age as their three kids. And so every Easter from the time they were in about kindergarten, 
believe it or not, until they got into being a senior in college, because those kids would always say, when are we going to do the Easter egg hunt? Are we going to have that? We had, we had great family times on Easter egg hunts. And my wife has continued that tradition. We introduced it to my, uh, our first grandson when he was two. And it's not unusual for us now to have virtual Easter egg hunts all the time. And we're going to see them next week, and we're going to have an Easter egg. I just love those family Easter egg hunts. A lot of good memories there. But the greatest Easter memory is not ours. It's the people who were there, saw him die, and then saw him alive. What a memory. I, I wanna, I'm going to talk about Mary Magdalene, and I'm going to put her story together this morning from, from all the Gospels. And you have, to, you have to piece it together to get the whole picture. If there were a bunch of eyewitnesses of a major event, everybody would see something different. And then the whole story would come from multiple witnesses. And I want you to kind of get into her frame of reference. Uh, you know her story about how she, she found Christ, but there's, there's good evidence to suggest that she and several women had joined the, the traveling band of Jesus and his disciples, which was not uncommon. Whenever there was a rabbi uh, who could speak, and, and Jesus was the rabbi who could speak like no other rabbi, it was not uncommon for the rabbis to have disciples, and they would go around the countryside sharing about God. And there would be, there would be sometimes it'd be wives, sometimes it'd be sisters, sometimes it might just be some, a lady who was traveling with them and, and they would take care of earning some money and selling things and cooking and things like that. So Mary, along with several other women, probably traveled with the, with the band of Jesus and the disciples. And uh, they were close. They were really close. I don't think Mary was at the Last Supper. There's no evidence of that. And yet, news spreads fast. And so while the disciples had had the Last Supper with Christ, they went out to the garden, and he was arrested, and uh, there was a crowd of people who had already gathered outside the place where Jesus was being held, and probably Mary. Because if any of you were the ones who really knew Christ, and the word got out, and it got out fast, you would come to that place. And then you would probably have been in the crowd on Friday when um, the crowd yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. And your heart would have broken because it was your friend, it was the Savior. And then picture what you felt when you watched Jesus die. I, um, by chance, it was, it was strictly by chance. Uh, I happened to be at the premiere of The Passion of Christ. Mel Gibson was there. There were 5,000 pastors there. And um, I didn't even know that was part of the event. Uh, that night, they had a great worship service. And then they said, we're going we're gonna to premiere this. And um, it, was the, mm, it was the only time I watched it. I couldn't watch it again. Because when they got to the crucifixion, it was, it just tore me apart. And I knew the rest of the story. <laughs> so can you imagine how Mary must have felt 
and the others, but specifically Mary, do you understand the deep, deep agony and, and the, the sense of loss? And, and, and so Jesus died in the afternoon on Friday. And at sundown, everything shut down. And nobody could do anything. Everybody went to their houses for rest from Friday at sun, sunset to Saturday at sunset. And Jesus was buried. He didn't have any of the traditions of the time. Nobody anointed his body. They only knew where he was because he was in the grave of a, of a secret follower of Christ. And they knew where he was at. And so on Saturday night, I can almost guarantee you that Mary and some of the other ladies who were so close to the, the band of the disciples and Jesus, they went out and they bought the spices that they needed to anoint the body of Christ the next day. And very early in the morning, very early in the morning, they walked, they made their way to the tomb, they talked about a variety of things. You just know they did. It wasn't happy talk, even though there were good memories, because they had just saw Christ crucified. One of the things they talked about was who's going to roll the stone away, which we have no, we have no understanding of that. That doesn't fit what we, how we do things in our culture at all. A little cave with a big stone. Who's going to roll the stone away? Turned out it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem at all. In fact, the stone was already rolled away. And there were some men standing there in white robes. They were angels. We know that now. I don't know if, I don't know if Mary realized it then. But because of what they said, everybody came to understand who they were. And they said, go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. They said, go tell the disciples Jesus is alive. But Mary and the other women, they ran and they found Peter and they found John. And they told them the body was gone and somebody's taken the body of Jesus. They didn't hear what the angel said because their grief was so powerful. And Peter and John, they took off at a run. Now, I don't know how old Peter was. I don't know how old he was, but John was probably about 16 or 17. And let's say that Peter was in his early 40s. You put a 16-year-old and a guy who's in his early 40s, even though he was a muscular fisherman, and the 16-year-olds were going to outrun him. And John got to the grave first. And he looked in, and he didn't go in. Peter got there, and he looked in. And resurrection was not on their mind. There was a lot of ramifications in this for the safety of the disciples. If somebody stole the body of Christ, there was a reason that was not good. And the disciples might be at the forefront of all that came out of that. People trying to corral this Jesus thing, round up the disciples. And so they looked in, and can you imagine this dark cave, even on an early morning, this dark cave, and looking in there, and your eyes have to adjust, and they notice something. The grave 
linens were there, but it looked like nobody had pulled them off. They just collapsed. And the, the linen covering the head of Jesus was rolled up and put somewhere else. And then John, John said, he's alive. And they said, what do we do now? And they didn't know what to do, so they went home. They had no idea what this meant. Now the irony is that Jesus had told them he was coming back to life. They could read it in the Old Testament prophets. But they knew all that, but they didn't know all that. They knew that he was not dead, but they didn't know where he was. And so they went home. Well, let's get back to Mary. I don't know how far away the tomb was from where Peter and John were, but um, if you ran that far, you probably wouldn't want to run right back. And she didn't run back. She came back, but she didn't run back. She was walking, and by the time she got back, Peter and John were gone. And she was crying, and she was, she just was, it just was such a difficult time, and um, the angels were back. Again, they looked like people in white robes. And, and they began to speak to her, and they said, why are you crying? Now, under normal circumstances, that seems like an obvious question to answer because Jesus died but they knew that Jesus hadn't died they weren't reprimanding her why are you crying don't you know that Jesus said he was going to live they were reminding her have you ever been in a spot where you were focused on something and you sensed somebody behind you Maybe, a, maybe you just caught something out of the corner of your eye. And Mary sensed that, and she turned around, and it was Jesus. And she didn't recognize him. It wasn't that he had changed all that much, but can you imagine watching Jesus hang on the cross, die on the cross, having a whole day at home, with all those thoughts and all those memories, and then going to the tomb, and then finding out that in your mind somebody had stolen the body. And Jesus spoke to her. He asked the same question that the angels had. Why are you crying? And then he added his own, another question. He said, who are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. What have you done with him? Where have you moved the body? I want to go prepare the body. And she's, and Jesus spoke her name. And she recognized him. That happens so much in life for people who have resurrection faith. You're in a situation and you literally hear the Spirit of God call out your name. And you go, it's you. Well, Mary's immediate response was to run and hug him. And Jesus said, no, go find the disciples and tell them, tell them. 
And this is what she told him in John 20, 18. I have seen the Lord. Now, I can't even imagine what that did to those guys. It's a great story. And you know what? A lot of people will hear that this year. And there'll be a lot of people who have heard about the Easter story. And there'll be a number of those people who say, so what? So what? So what? Well, the next 40 days, Jesus spent with his disciples. And he met him multiple times, and not all of them are recorded in the gospel stories. Some of them are. Some of them are alluded to at other places. So we know he was met with the most, a lot of times in that 40-day period after he was resurrected. And he prepared them for the so what of his resurrection. So the so what of the Easter story. And he talked to them, and he instructed them, and he gave them things to remember. And then he said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going back to my father. But you wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit, who's, who, who I've taught you about, he's coming. You wait there. You stay there. And there was 120 of, of the closest followers of Jesus who gathered in this room. We call it an upper room because it was a second story, the upper room. That, that, that's what they called it. Oh, yeah, the upper room. And there was 120 of them in there. And they, they met for 10 days. They prayed for 10 days. I don't think they stayed there for 10 days. They went home. They slept. They came back. And on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit came. And it was another one of those times that has gone and just, just changed history. And, and, and the disciples, it says, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they went out and they were speaking in languages that they didn't know. But the people who had come in for the Passover and for all the other things, the celebration of Easter I mean, of, of Jewish festivals going on at that time from around the world, they heard them in their own language. And that day, thousands of Jews turned to Christ. And that didn't sit real well with a lot of people, especially one guy named Saul. Saul was a, was a guy, a young guy. And you remember the story of Stephen. Stephen was uh, in the early church. Uh, he was selected. Because the disciples, there were so many things that they were supposed to be doing, they couldn't keep up with it all. And they wanted to devote themselves to preaching and the study of God's word and to prayer. And so they said, give us, some, give us some men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was one of those. We want them to manage the feeding of the widows and the distribution of the food. But Stephen was something different than just a good manager. He was filled with God's Spirit in such a way that... When he gave food, and there was always somebody watching, trying to, trying to get a cap on all this stuff about Jesus and resurrected, and they didn't believe it. But there was something in his spirit that angered people who saw him, not because he was acting in hate, but because he was acting in love. And a bunch of people got so angry that they stoned him to death. And Saul was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, and he and Saul became a holy terror. And, and, and he organized. He was a good manager. He was a leader. He pulled people together, and they began to scatter all over the Roman Empire, the Christians. They just, they just picked up what they could, and they ran. They took very little with them except the so what of Easter. And everywhere they went, they told the so what of Easter. And the irony is, that same Saul 
One, one day, he met the resurrected Christ on a road. And so there was a time of peace. And after a while, Peter, along with others, went out to track all these followers of Christ who had just been scattered all over the Roman Empire. They wanted to connect with them. They wanted to see what had happened. And so Peter was in an area, and there was a man by the name of Cornelius. He was, he was called a centurion, which meant that he was an officer in the Roman army, and he, he was over 100 soldiers. It was a respected position. It was a position that, that the, the men who were in that, they did well. They had better houses, and they had more money, and things like that. And, and he was a man that was a good man at heart. And God came to him and spoke to him in a dream, and he said, hey, Peter, there's a guy named Peter over here. I want you to send for him. He's got a message for you. And so Peter came, and he knew this was from God. And so he said, I want to tell you the story of Jesus. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead, and the third day caused him to be seen. And then... We're going to go to Acts 10, verse 42. This is the so what of the Easter story. Peter said, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the big so what of the Easter story. The forgiveness of sins. If you're a parent, you understand that if a child does something that is going to be harmful to them or harmful to somebody else, you have to discipline them. And sometimes you take something away from them. And every generation takes something different away. I imagine... Uh, I don't think my kids ever lost their iPhones because they never had one at that age. But I imagine that you take your phones away from kids sometimes, or other things. Well, God, who pulled the Jewish people out of all the people and began to reveal himself to them and through them to the world, when they would, when they would, know, when they would know that something was wrong, and do it anyway, that, that's called a sin, to, to know what something is wrong and decide I'm going to do it and I don't care, then he would require of them a, a sacrifice. And there were lots of sacrifices. To, to, uh, the sacrifice was given to God, but it was also it was a reminder to them that they, they, they paid this price because they had done something wrong. Just like a father challenges a kid. I remember I took away Ben's car one time. So it's something that is significant. So some sins, you might give a basket of grain or a loaf of bread, but some of them are blood sacrifices. The idea of a blood sacrifice is this. When you live in an economy that is built on raising animals, then when you give an animal as a blood sacrifice, it means you can never take it back. 
And there were some sins that were only covered by the blood of an animal. And so Jesus became the sacrifice. He paid for all of our sins. That's the so what that people were talking about. That Saul guy, he became the Paul guy. Changed his name by one letter. Saul was the Jewish equivalent of Paul. Paul was the Greek equivalent. And he became the uh, Jew who went to the Gentiles. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And the Gentiles were not all that well received by the Jews. The Jews had this sense that most Gentiles were not all that good. And Paul was in that camp who hated Gentiles and all the things that were going to disrupt the Jewish tradition at that time. And then he became a follower of Christ. And Christ said, now, go to those people who you hated. And Paul gives us the idea that there's even more to this than being forgiven of our sins. It can change us. He wrote to a, um, he wrote to a group of believers in a, in a town. We find it in Colossians. Colossae was the town. And he said, as God's chosen people, now these were Gentiles. These were people who had come to follow Christ. Most of them were Gentiles. Some Jews had been dispersed through the kingdom, through the empire, and were a part of this too, but mostly Gentiles. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He was talking to the church because even the people in the church had to be reminded God changed us for a reason. And these are the things that we're talking about, not only with the people around us, but everywhere. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So the great so what of Easter is that Christ paid for our sins and has opened the door to come in and change our lives. But you know, you can believe in something without it really impacting your world. You can have a positive or negative opinion of something that you believe in. And it can only be opinion. It doesn't mean it makes a difference. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who, who believe in Jesus. But it hasn't made any difference in their life. The story, the so what? Yeah, it's Easter. Let's go get some of those marshmallow bunnies that only come out once a year and all the parents are going thank goodness but that's all it is that that's a belief but that's not resurrection faith you see jesus paid the price at the hands of the enemy of god and and satan and all the demons thought it was over and they won we killed God. And three days later, he was back. Resurrection faith. You know, you, you and I, if you've had the opportunity to turn towards God, 
and follow him, you know what it can be. We also know that it's very possible to step back from that resurrection faith to just believing. So my challenge is this. At whatever state you're in, in your walk with God, maybe you are somebody who doesn't really have the resurrection faith anymore. Maybe it's just a belief. And it's not that you turned your back on God, but he doesn't really influence you like he wants to. Or maybe you've really never turned towards God. Then I want to, rem- I want to tell you something, and some of you it will be a reminder, and some of you it might be the first time you heard it. You know, there's lots of acronyms out there to help us remember things. There's the ABCs for the prayer of forgiveness. It goes like this. The A is admit that you are a sinner. People don't like that word. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not by our works that we are saved. It's by our faith. So admit that we're a sinner. We did things that we knew were wrong, and we've made mistakes. And then the B part is, believe that Jesus is God's only son, and he died on the cross for me. And then C, commit yourself to living a life following Jesus, being transformed by him, and serving others. And the, the thing is, Sometimes we need to remember that prayer because we prayed it once, but we just kind of stood still for a while. God, you saved me. I want to walk closer to you. Or sometimes we need to pray that prayer because we've never prayed it before. If, uh, if anybody wants to pray that, while I'm closing a prayer, then the worship team will come and dismiss us. Then you can do that. A, just admit, God, I'm a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is God's son and he died for me on the cross. And C, commit yourself to his ways. But then there's one other thing that I would say to do. Whenever you make a spiritual stand in your life, It's always a good idea to tell someone about it who will understand the significance of what you just did. So why don't you stand with me for prayer, and if you want to pray the ABCs, or remember that you prayed it, stand with me for prayer if you could, and if you can't, that's fine too. And I'm going to pray, and then following prayer, uh, we're going to close in worship. Father, I cannot imagine how you felt watching your son die on the cross. And you knew the rest of the story too, and it still hurts you. I don't understand all the reasons for the blood sacrifice, but I understand that I fall way short of you, and you have forgiven me. And so... Speak to our hearts. Pull us towards you.
Help us to make the right decisions today. And may the decisions for some be decisions that are going to change their life. In your name we pray. In your resurrected name we pray. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given we just uh we want to give you praise this morning lord we we just want to highly exalt your holy name and lord we thank you for what you did on the cross but we're so grateful that wasn't the end of the story lord you are living today and you can live in our hearts and lord help us each and every one of us here and if those who who uh, have not received you, Lord, I pray they do it in this moment, Lord, in this moment. Just receive you and accept you. You are the son of the living God. And Lord, we just give you this praise today. We want to praise you all day long, Lord, because this is Resurrection Sunday. And so, Father, go with each and every one who is here today. I pray, Lord, that you be with each and every one down throughout this week. And may we forever praise your holy name on this day. In Jesus' name, amen.